So first, please could you introduce yourself and tell us a little about your background? Yeah, my name is Nikki Swan. Um, I am currently a new assistant professor at University of Oregon. Um, I did my PhD work um, at UCSD looking at sort of um, how different brain regions work together to control movement. Um, and then I did my postdoc at UCSF um, working with uh, Phil Starr, a neurosurgeon, um, to look at how um, brain activity might be different in Parkinson's disease. So kind of still looking at movement, but now looking at how movement can be abnormal in disease. Um, and so in Dr. Starr's lab, I did a lot of work um, sort of trying to understand what's different about the Parkinsonian brain um, and especially how it responds to one treatment, um, which is deep brain stimulation. And that's a neurosurgical treatment that involves um, using electrical stimulation to reduce the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Um, and so here I'm presenting some work where I used a brain signal that's related actually to a side effect that Parkinson's disease patients experience from therapies, either medication or deep brain stimulation itself. And we are trying to um, adjust the stimulation based on this, this brain signal to give patients better, better therapy. Um, so that's what I worked on in my postdoc, and then now I'm starting my own lab at the University of Oregon, kind of um, continuing this work of trying to understand the physiology of the motor system and how it's different in health and disease. And so what are the next steps for you in this research? Yeah, so I guess there's, there's a few different things. So um, I'm going to be continuing looking, and, and also the, the Star Lab at UCSF, we're both going to be continuing to work on how um, we can improve treatments for Parkinson's disease patients by integrating neural signatures. Um, the Star Lab is continuing some of this work using invasive brain recordings, and I'm going to be uh, doing a little bit of invasive recordings as well, but also trying to see if we might be able to use non-invasive signatures um, to try to reach more patients, so trying yeah. to see if we can um, help these help patients who, who may not have um, these sort of most recent research devices or, or have um, the, the kinds of devices that you need um, to do the, the kind of invasive recordings that, that I was working on um, and the work I'm presenting here. So do you think um, this sort of adaptive TMS is something that we could be that we could see used for more patients in the near future? I do. So so this is adaptive DBS, deep brain sorry, stimulation. Sorry. No, no, no. That's okay. Um, so so deep brain stimulation is a standard clinical yeah. device that's been used for. Um, about 20 years now yeah. and um, I think that there's definitely it's definitely the way the field is going so there may not be um, it may not be that this is something that every patient needs but I think there's definitely patients who are not getting the best response that they could from the standard uh, the, the, the way DBS is done now so right now the stimulation is constant um, more or less all the time and that means that sometimes patients are not treated the best, they're not getting the best symptom control, and other times they're having side effects. So yeah. there's a few different ways that we could imagine adjusting the stimulation, but uh, I think this idea of using brain signals to, to customize the stimulation is, is really going to help, um, especially those patients that, that aren't getting the best benefit, and patients that might have patients whose neurologists are having trouble programming them um, most effectively. So you've been looking um, more specifically at Parkinson's um, patients at the moment. Do you think that this um, technique could be rolled out perhaps for other uses of deep brain stimulation? Yes, definitely. So um, 
the work I've been doing has been so far in Parkinson's disease, but there's other work at this conference looking at other disorders like um, Tourette's syndrome, um, essential tremor, um, and there's even interest in trying to use these approaches for non-movement disorders. So um, deep, deep brain stimulation is now being pursued, for example, for depression. And you can imagine that um, those might be applications where using some kind of adaptive stimulation might be perhaps even more important because the, the motor system, one nice thing about it is that it's very easy to observe. You can look at yes, someone and see yeah. how they're moving. Whereas some of these more um, disorders that are, that are a bit harder to observe, like psychiatric disorders, it would be really nice to sort of have a biomarker we could use to, to customize the therapy. So that's, um, I think, actually developing this therapy in the motor system is a very good first step, but I think that the applications are really going to be quite broad. So sort of along that theme, what, uh, where do you think we could be perhaps sort of five years from now, where would you hope this area of um, neuromodulation could be? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I really like about my research is that it's so translationable. So um, I really think that I wouldn't be surprised if in five years deep brain stimulation is being used, at least for Parkinson's disease, clinically. I think that it's the technology is basically there. In fact, the study I'm, I'm presenting here it was using... Um, using this therapy in patients who were just uh, going about their day, and we even recorded um, one. We we, used, we even had one patient uh, using this this new approach to deep brain stimulation for four days, so just going about their daily life. So it's basically. Um, Technically, we're there. We, we can do it. And mm. now, I think the question is just to really improve those algorithms and get them to work the very best they can for individual patients. And, and then, when that happens, I think those patients could start benefiting from this right now. So, I think for, for Parkinson's disease, we're very close. I think five years is a realistic, um, realistic time frame, and I think that might be true for other movement disorders. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's moving very fast, so I, I don't think it's impossible that we'd see that for other yeah, disorders yeah. yet, but I, I, my guess is that we'd be more, we'd really have advanced research-wise and might be doing some trials. I don't know if it would be in standard clinical practice yet, but I honestly, um, I, I'm not sure because it's the, I've, in the, you know, the five years I was in my postdoc, I really saw a, a lot of advancement and so yeah, very sure. quick-moving field, so. Great, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you.